So, um, RJ, I love your book so much, so much. Uh, And I hope you saw my cream review. Yes, yes. Okay, good. Super nice. And uh, Well, um, I was just flipping as I was reading it. I was just like, this is just the coolest biography I've ever read. And it was, you know, the subject, it was so overdue, and you were the perfect guy to do it. And I, uh, I just, I can't believe how much you squeezed in, in such a short amount of space. I mean, it's really one of those wonderfully dense books that reads like the wind, you know. Well, that's that's great to hear. Yeah, yeah, oh, you know, oh. yeah. Holy, <laughs> I, I, I got way I, into the. Um, I, I think just, uh, you know, I, I was working on it for a few years, and then, uh, then the pandemic, the lockdown hits, and I just, you know, it, I had no excuses. I, I was able to keep working and stare at the screen and just, just crank on. Right, right. Well, it just reads beautifully, and I think like a lot of people, I came to it with, um, you know, just great, massive oceans of affection for the man and the music, mm-hmm. and I really got. I really got my my myth cut down. <laughs> it's such oh a, it, it's such a. I mean, in so many ways, it's such a sad book. The the lack of self awareness, the predatory nature, the. I mean, re, I mean, really, just like the persona he built is just so seductive, and the the life behind it is so. Oh, so complicated! Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, complicated you, is a good word. Well, complicated, right? And so, tell me about the process of of unpeeling all of those layers and getting to touch. I assume you start with the great love and affection that all critics do for that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, lots of lots of love and affection for him for sure, and you know, just constant awareness of how he changed things. In my life, in right. my friends, in the culture, in the right. world, uh, right. and so that's that's what got me going, and, and that's what got a foot in the door. And and I also knew, in the abstract and just around the edges, uh, you know that that there were other sides to the man that I didn't know so well, and right. uh, I thought, well, that could be really good for a writer. You know, it'll keep me interested and. I, I want to try to put it together in some way, both sides or all different sides. And uh, can it be done? Can I? Does this add up to one person or multiple people at the end right, of the day? Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was not. It was never boring. And uh, no. he's just huge. He's a huge, bottomless entity. <laughs> right. So tell me some of the challenging parts about doing that. Like you, you learn, a, you, you get a new piece of information or you have an interview with a, a source and you realize, oh, now I have to make sense of this. Talk to me about some of those challenges. Yeah. Well, one big, one big thing is, you know, I want to interest people in music that I find interesting or music that I love. I don't right. want people to love music that I love. Uh, and, and so when I'm finding out other things about this person, when I'm finding out his relationship with women, when I, or, or with people in the band, uh, or with fans sometimes, uh, all, all those things on many occasions could be really positive things. They could also on many occasions be terrible things for those people involved. And so right. when I hear about that stuff, I want to put it in a context that sheds a lot of light on, on who he was, but I'm not looking to tell people, 
you should not listen to this music. You should not, there is not anything to get from it because right. there is a world to be gotten from this music. Yeah. So, so, so wrestling with that is one big, one big aspect. What's the right amount of balance so that right. I'm not, um, not avoiding a subject, but I'm not, um, turning people off from the rest of the book for the rest of Chuck right. Berry. So right. That, that, that was just always there in my head. And, and, um, right. Yeah, and getting people to talk was a, and in a different way. That was a that was a big problem. Getting people to feel comfortable talking about experiences they had, and and many experiences were great, energetic experiences, positive. But you know, getting people to talk about bad things that happened to them, bad things that Chuck said to them uh, for no good reason, yeah. uh, and th- and then trying to understand why. That's that's a huge part of it too. Like somebody does. Somebody acts a certain way in your life. Uh, somebody you know acts a certain way. You can walk away from it, or you can say, "Well, this person is a part of me, and how um, how do I make sense of it?" Right. That's that. That was a huge part of the work for me. Right. Right. And he obviously, because his method was he would go to town, different towns, and he just hire pickup bands in every different town. Then why would he why would he choose to be so rude and spiteful on stage if he didn't like the bass player? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. To me, that's just kind of random. Now, the, the one theory that I liked that you floated in there was that he really did kind of see his fame as a way of getting some kind of cosmic revenge on, um, the, you know, the American the systematic racism that he kept confronting. Um, and that helps make sense of it. Um, and yet, you know, there's 16 year old kids on the base who's like living the dream playing with Chuck Berry and, you know, like getting humiliated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it was like in a, um, conscious way of him saying, okay, this is my chance to necessarily to, to, to pay back for what was done to me. Uh, but sometimes it was, but most yeah. of the time I think he just, in that way that, you know, many people, it's kind of human nature to, upon occasion, you know, when, when injustice has been done to one, uh, we, all the stuff that we carry forward in our lives, that's one thing that gets carried forward too, unfortunately, is right. sometimes the, 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 the crap that happens to, to, to you or me, uh, it, it, it haunts us, and we, and that's where it goes to the next right. unfortunate right. person. And, and so that's a part of it for Chuck too. Uh, yeah, but but you're right. I mean, he had a way of, um, uh, yeah. He'd go to town to town, and he the, the bands would be fans. You know, oh my, Mr. Right. Barry, Mr. Barry, uh, right. do, do you want to practice? What songs are we going to play? Uh, what right. keys are we going to play them in? Don't worry about it. Just watch me right. and fall in. And so mistakes were made and Chuck right. wouldn't be happy about them. And it was, there was music and sometimes great shows, sometimes terrible shows. Uh, right. And there was this theater all the time, this kind of other kind of performance of Chuck versus the band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very, um, it strikes me as Dylan-esque that way. Like he didn't want to rehearse. He really wanted the, the, that whatever got on tape or on the stage to be just like the music, the musicians finding their way into the song as the song yes. goes, goes forward. Right. That's very, that, that, definitely. 
So who yeah. would, who was your who was your big um, white whale who you desperately wanted in the book but couldn't couldn't nail down? Wow. Did you have anyone like that? You know, I I wow, that's a good question. Well, on on some level. Uh, I always wanted, and, and from the start, I had reached out to the family. Uh, I, I was hoping for their involvement and their um, their stories and their memories uh, and their understanding of who he was. Uh, I wanted them to also selfishly, you know, be a good fact check for me. So this is sure. what somebody told me. What do you think? You were there. You You would be able to tell me if this address was right or if this right. date was right or whatever. So, uh, and they were always super polite and very, very pleasant to talk to. You when I talked to uh, the son, uh, 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 Charles, Charles Berry uh, Jr., uh, right. a bunch of times. And, and it was always in the context of, well, we'll do an interview. I just, now's not a good time. Let's do it in a couple months. And a couple months just never came. So uh, I'm disappointed about that. But I understand in my mind, why that was not uh, of interest <laughs> to, sure. to the family, perhaps. Um, so, but, but, but I, 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 yeah, I certainly wish I'd, I'd gotten them. Uh, I'd have to think beyond that. There's definitely, um, you know, if I could have talked, he, he, he had been long gone. Um, by the time I, I was working on this book, uh, but uh, Johnny Johnson, uh, Chuck's, uh, yeah, the, the, the band leader. Uh, of the band that Chuck joined at the beginning of his career, uh, right. a piano player who really had a huge role in a lot of the, the, the making of those early records and early songs. Um, right. Somebody who saw Chuck up close with a, you know, a very watchful eye and very kind of quiet, uh, keep it all inside guy. Right. Johnny Johnson, if, 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 if I could have, sat down and talked to him over a course of an evening or two, that would have right. been, you know, just a bolt of lightning. Yeah, he well. years before. Right. But you got, you did access this, all of this fabulous um, legal testimony. Yeah. When Johnson, when Johnson tries to get um, a songwriting credit. Uh, tell us how you yeah. got a hold of that. And that, that section is so, uh, I mean, he, he actually sounds like he made a couple hardcore lawyers melt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, there's a man, a, a, a professor, and a lawyer, and a, and a good writer named uh, uh, Timothy McFarlane, uh, and uh, he had written several essays about uh, about um, copyright law and songwriter ownership, uh, and he clearly had an ear for music, has an ear for music, uh, and and he. Um, so, so he got so so uh, late. So early on, uh, Chuck joins Johnny's band in, in '54, early early '50s, and and then is on the band that that had a lot of those early hits with Chuck. Uh, you know, he he didn't play on Johnny Be Good, almost certainly, but he played on Maybelline, m- many of those early early hits. Uh, and and Johnny was involved in sitting around in practice sessions and on the stage live working out songs that later became Chuck Berry hits. Uh, so late in his life, uh, Johnny Johnson got a bug in his ear. People were kind of encouraging him that he never got his due, which definitely is true. Um, he was a quiet, intense um, sideman in, in the classic celebratory sense. 
he didn't want to leave a band. He didn't want to be Chuck Berry. He wanted to be Johnny Johnson, the guy right. playing for Chuck Berry. Um, and and so, but but he didn't get the attention and the love and the, all the money that he deserved for sure. And so people suggested, hey, you should sue that guy. You should sue that guy. That's your music too. And he did. And and it was too late in the day illegally to mount a good uh, legal effort. Uh, but they 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 gave recorded testimony, uh, uh, depositions. Chuck and John right. sitting in right. lawyer's office with instruments in the office. So they would they would they weren't even yelling at each other at all or fighting, even though Johnny was suing Chuck for a lot of money. And if it was one thing in life Chuck did not want to do, it was to give up his money. <laughs> um, right. He, and so, uh, but they so it was just it just sounds like this magical. Uh, series of hours where in front of lawyers they're explaining how songs came into existence that were amazing songs and they would get a guitar out and a keyboard out and start describing who did what and they didn't agree on a lot of that but uh at the end of the day it's so so mcfarland got access to uh as he was writing up papers and 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 uh journal uh 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 papers about uh about uh, songwriting and and the legal side of uh, who gets royalties and who gets compositional credit, uh, he got access to the depositions that were recorded and are and, and not public record, uh, and he quoted at, at length from them in some pieces that he's written that you can find on the internet, and and I talked to him many times. He was super helpful, and um, and and from this you get a sense of Johnny talking about his his uh, contribution and Chuck talking about what Johnny brought and what he brought. And you get a great sense of how these amazing songs were written in a way that you don't usually hear about. Right, any, right. Any kind of classic American songwriting. It's a real wow. window so into are, that. And who, know, who knew how to that it would be a good thing to tape these depositions? What an amazing idea. I mean, and yeah. you ha- you had access to these tapes? Uh, I, I had access to McFarland. <laughs> okay. He has he has the tapes and he has not shared them except okay. to quote from them, which he has the uh, he was given the green light to, from the uh, lawyers involved, Johnny's lawyer, Chuck's lawyers, to quote at length from those recordings. So he I shared see. some of that with me. Okay. Wow, that sounds like holy grail stuff, you know. It really That's- does. A, I mean, yeah. that sounds like Elvis autopsy level. Like, <laughs> when do we get to see that? <laughs> it, it is. It's like being there at the at the uh, you know at, at the quartet, right? The the, the right. Sun Records with Johnny and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis and and Elvis sitting around at the piano singing these songs and just doing it because they love to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, but, but you have a wonderful quote. I think it's from Chuck Berry's lawyer who says that the the process really endeared him to Johnny Johnson, even though Johnson was the guy suing him. And it was really clear that he had a good case, but that there there was no legal remedy. And yeah. and how affectionate he felt towards Johnson by the end of the whole thing. I mean, I just think that's astounding. I just, you never see a quote <laughs> like that from a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, you know, Johnny would say when they when they, when they were recorded when they would stop uh, giving deposition, it was a break. You know, he'd say he'd ask how the other lawyers were doing, and 
he'd say, hey, you know, I've got a show coming up next week. Would you like some free tickets? I can I can get you in to hear me play. And he, he was just, a, by all accounts, no one has, you know, he, he was a big drinker. And that's that's the only thing people can say about Johnny was that, he, you know, right. he, he, he could be a mess when he was drinking. But but everybody loved Johnny Johnson. And if you heard him play, that's a big part of why everybody loved Johnny Johnson because he was right. – so much of him came through in there. Yeah, and, and he just he, – he, so he was the guy on the stage in the background taking it all in and uh, amazing boogie-woogie style piano player. So that brings me to another question about how if Johnson is the band leader and Chuck Berry joins the band and Johnson realizes that Chuck Berry is much more of a front, front person, um, uh, there's a remark that Keith Richards makes in – the Hail Hail Rock and Roll movie about how all these Chuck Berry songs are in these strange guitar keys. And I don't know if you mm. learned anything more about this, but um, I've heard other guitarists make this remark that, that sometimes these songs are in the key of B flat or E flat and that those are really good piano, well, good piano keys, but you know, yeah. like reasonable piano keys, but not yeah. very good not very good guitar keys. Did you did you hear any of that as you did your work? And it, I, to me, it I makes sense. Right. Uh, it yeah. makes sense on the level that if Johnny Johnson is the band leader, the band leader does call the keys, right? Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that Chuck Berry would write Johnny Be Good in B flat. That just, I mean, that just everyone plays that in A. I mean, there's just the open strings, the the shape of those licks. Yeah. But. I'm very curious about – it's a little technical, but I'm really curious because Keith Richards does make that comment. And, of course, when you're Keith Richards, you're busy sounding it out uh, on your record player at home with a guitar, and it doesn't make sense, some of the keys these things are in. Did anyone else remark yeah. on that? I have heard that uh, definitely over, over the years of working on this project, for sure. Um, I, you know, different people have said different things. There are definitely guitarists who feel the opposite, that that that, that, that isn't the important thing. But for sure, Keith Richards feels that way, and many, many other many other musicians also. You know, they talk about the keys, and I, I'm not a musician, so my ability to communicate this is, 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 is hits a wall at some point, but that the keys yeah. are jazz, are, are from the jazz, uh, are, are more jazz than blues, uh, that they come from piano music more than guitar music, uh, huh. and 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 one thing that I definitely think is true, um, and and so that might be a, a Johnny thing, like Johnny's uh, origins of some of the melodies or some of the songs um, passing on to Chuck and everybody in the band. But right. another way of thinking about it, I think, is that. Um, one thing that Chuck definitely did, so there's this music, boogie-woogie piano music. Right. dates, you know, from, from well, it, it probably goes even further back, but, you know, in the, in the 20s and 30s, it, it's huge. It, it's, right. it's, a, it's a dance, it's a blues dance style that had, uh, that, that was created on the piano. Uh, powerful left-hand bass hitting hit, keeping the, the rhythm going and and, right, and, right. and 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 variations going on that's the left left hand the right hand variations going on there um and they're, they're playing off against each other different times sometimes you know right right uh, and so 
one thing that definitely seems to have happened all in, in music in general, in, in, in the move from blues to rhythm and blues, guitars are playing that. Guitar players are picking that up. Chuck yeah. Berry, yeah. when he went to reform school as a teenager and joined a band in, in, in the reform school for, that he was, that he was, uh, interred in for several years, um, uh, he's, he's learning how to play this music from a piano player in, in, in reform school. So, so boogie woogie music is moving from the piano to the guitar, and that's an important part of how rock and roll, uh, it sounds like it, like it did then and, and does today even. Uh, so those rhythms and those melodies and, and those keys are changing from from piano to guitar, and that's a huge part of the history of the sound too. So whether yeah. it's all from Johnny or from people even Chuck was listening to before he met Johnny, uh, I think there's something there about going yeah. about piano music transferring over. Yeah, interesting. Um, and the boogie woogie is there's different stripes of boogie woogie too, and I'm wondering if you. I don't. I don't know. Is stride a synonym for it, or is it a stripe of boogie woogie? Or, and would would you have called, or did you hear Johnny Johnson call call himself a stride player? Wow, I I, I think stride is related. Uh, I, I I don't want to get too deep because I don't. I'd I'd have to think about it and really. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I'm just curious how. Uh, um, but Johnny would call himself a boogie woogie player more than a, a boogie woogie player. player. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's the way he, he would call himself a blues guy. Uh, he could play jazz, but he he would call himself a blues and a boogie woogie piano player most of all. And he did make a record after Hail Hail Rock and Roll, right? Jo- Johnny made a number of records, and he played. He he had a good uh, late in life, um, you know, in the in the eighties and nineties. You know, he played with um, a number. Of, he played with Keith Richards on occasion, and Eric uh-huh. Clapton. He, he toured with Eric Clapton, uh, and and there's um oh there's a there's a country band that was really big for a few years that loved playing with Johnny, and he was on several of their records. Uh, uh-huh. Name the name will come to me in a second. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, he had a good uh, late in life third second or third act. One of the passages I love is that you're detailing um, uh, Barry's run-in with uh, the law, <laughs> run-in, yeah. and you sort of Definitely. set up, you set up um, how he ge- he keeps getting caught and that it's clear that he's sort of, like, they have they have him targeted and that his next infraction is going to be serious no matter what it is, mm-hmm. um, and and then he gets sent away, and then you detail, you we figure out which songs he writes in prison. Can you tell us how you figured that stuff out and and how that led to some really interesting insights to his character and such. Yeah, so so he um we talked about uh Chuck as a teenager going to reform school as he called it for uh for an armed robbery uh conviction. Uh and then he gets out, he goes back home to St. Louis, he he starts a musical career in about the second half of the fifties, he's a huge almost global star, huge pop star in America, of course. Uh, and he's at the peak of his fame and he gets arrested for a uh, violation of the Mann Act, which is, uh, uh, it's a complicated law, but basically he was, uh, crossing state lines with, with a, a woman, uh, and having sex with her in different states, 
And so it was a, it was a federal law, a felony, and he goes to prison for several years in the early 60s for violating the Mann Act. While he's there, yeah, he wrote, um, so his career came to a grinding halt at that point. Uh, at the mm-hmm. peak of his fame, he disappears. He'd recorded a bunch of stuff, uh, planning, knowing that he was going to prison soon. Uh, but it wasn't great stuff and just didn't kind of sat on some of it. And, um, so while he's there, he, he, he's, he's recording, not recording, but he's writing songs. And, right. and when he, when he came out, uh, a prison in 63, 64, uh, he, he had a, a raft of songs ready to be recorded, uh, songs like The Promised Land and right. Never Can Tell uh, and and several others that um, are as good as anything he ever wrote. And so for about a year and a half, two years after he comes out of prison, he had about four songs on the charts that were really, really important, uh, great, great hits. They kept right. him a, a, a vibrant performer. But, um, you know, I think like when he was in prison then, he, he, he worked in a, it was, a, it was a federal, uh, prison and a federal, uh, hospital for prisoners that would get sent there if they needed special medical attention. So it was a little different setup in, 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 in Missouri. Uh, and he, he worked as not an orderly, but like an assistant, uh, in, in the hospital. And I just imagine him turning the radio on as he's working. Uh, 1963, and he's hearing the Beach Boys, or he's hearing the Beatles. He's hearing them do Chuck Berry music, play Chuck Berry riffs, cover Chuck Berry songs. In the Beach Boys' case, Serpent USA, a, a right. little rewrite of a Chuck Berry song. Right. And, and what that must have been like to hear that in in prison, uh, it would be like a scene in a movie, you know, right. like, hey, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Uh, and so he comes out and he's got to have all these complicated feelings of, um, right. he knows his moment may have passed. He knows he's got these songs that, that are different from what he'd written before. They're kind of deeper and they're talking about social issues in, in a, in a masked way. Um, right. and he wants to jump in and hit the ground running and it, it kind of happened and it kind of didn't. Right. Right. But he gets booked on the Tammy show. That's a very important appearance for him, right? Can, can you imagine the Tammy show, which was uh, 64, I believe? And, yeah, there's, uh, there's actually two. There's, and there's, oh. So 64 and 65. And okay. I, I, I would have to go check, but I know he's 64. He might also be 65. But gotcha. that's when – that's an interesting uh, bill, right? Because it, it makes this overlap that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 um, so it was this, uh, concert, this all-star kind of, uh, video recorded concert that became, uh, like a, um, it, it was, it was recorded and then presented as a movie in movie theaters across the country. The TAMI stood for, for, for something, but, uh, it, it, yeah, the Rolling Stones were on this bill and Chuck was on the bill and Marvin Gaye, Leslie Gore. It was an incredible lineup, and there's a moment where a British Invasion Act uh, is playing a Chuck song. Well, Chuck's playing a Chuck song. He starts out playing it on the stage, and then he hands right. it off literally to uh, it's Jerry, 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 and the Pacemakers. Jerry and the Pacemakers. Uh, and it is a crazy 
you know, Jerry the Pacemaker's lovely, uh, fun-loving, um, charming group of guys, uh, and I like their music. But uh, it is a surreal experience to see Chuck Berry hand off one of his songs to these guys who were kind of kind of hitching up their pants to play it. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. And Chuck's got to smile and, 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 and pass on the baton. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Right. Um, now there were, there must've been some, uh, some buried tracks that you rediscovered or that you may have heard for the first time or some, some unreleased stuff that you heard. Can you, can you talk about some of the new Chuck Berry material that you came across as you did your research? Well, I mean, there's a lot of B sides and, you know, when he, when he came out of, when he came out of prison, uh, he, he made a live recording with, uh, for one, one, one thing that, that, uh, it, it, there's some good, uh, there's a good feel in this recording, and it's also a kind of a what might have been, is when he got out, uh, he did a live recording right away, uh, in 64 with, uh, the Motown house band. Uh, you know, uh, they, they played, uh, just outside of Detroit, uh, for a couple nights, recorded it, and, um, they, <laughs> they did not rehearse together. Uh, Chuck was just out of prison and he hadn't rehearsed a lot. His voice was a little, he had a cold, but the recordings are out there and sometimes there, there, there's definitely stuff on there that has a whole different feel, has, has more of a bar band R&B feel. Uh, uh-huh. there's a lot of, a lot of sax on it. Um, and there's, and it's all, you know, it's, it's blues and Chuck Berry's hits. And, uh, that is a, is kind of a fascinating, uh, recording, um, definitely worth hearing. You know, um, I think a song that, uh, doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, that, uh, I go back to a lot and that Chuck recorded a number of times and, and wasn't done with, uh, he, there's a version of it on his last album, uh, Chuck, uh, that, um, is, is Havana Moon. And, it's it's almost a, a reggae or a, really a ska kind of tune that he yeah, wrote yeah. in the late 50s. Uh, it doesn't sound like rock and roll. It's slower, and the beat is different than it usually is on Chuck records. Uh, there's not a lot of piano on it. Um, it's a haunting kind of uh, odd, odd song out in the Chuck catalog that he yeah. loved. And, uh, yeah, Havana Moon definitely worth seeking out I think I'm, so glad, of, you, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that song that that for my money that is the great lost Chuck Berry song mm. and it, it hints at a huge range of stuff that you know the might have been stuff um it always sounded to me like that he made that alone are there other instruments on that um there there's you know there's there that's a good question there's I want to say there's a bass on there but it is a lonely, echoey recording right. that, right, that right. doesn't have much. I think there's a drum in this bass, and uh, yeah. But I'll have to but go listen you, to it what, again. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's this middle of the night dance song. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, right. It's it's yeah. I mean, it's a song where you you can just you can you can just actually see the picture. I mean, you can just see the moonlight on the water. It's just it's an extraordinary yeah. piece of work. Um, yeah. And then you you brought up this last record. So tell us the story of 
of the ending and um, him recording at this local club and making this record, I was astonished when this record came out because I thought, oh, you know, like, I, you know, can I bear to put this on? And then I just I was like, this is the friskiest record I've ever heard. It's just like, oh, but the the backstory is very complicated and his his decline is complicated. Tell us about that. So so yeah, um, in the the last couple decades of his life, he he died in uh, 2017. Uh, He uh, he was playing a lot in a in a mid-sized, not large uh, room in a great club in St. Louis called Blueberry Hill. Uh, Joe Edwards, the owner of Blueberry Hill, uh, had a long friendship and, and somewhat of a business relationship with Chuck, and they just had a really good communication, which wasn't always the case with Chuck, uh, and Chuck trusted Joe Edwards. So, you know, one day they were hanging out at Blueberry Hill, as the story goes, and um uh Chuck was talking about how he used to just play the clubs in East St. Louis, small clubs, crowd, you know, shoulder to shoulder in front of the stage and how much he missed that experience. Yeah. <laughs> and Joe said, well, you know what? I, I think I know how you could remedy that, 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 that gap in your life, Chuck. And so what they instituted was Chuck in the, in the last years of his life. Uh, well, he, he, he stopped playing, you know, for in the very last years of his life, but from, uh, I'd have to look up the dates, but yeah, but, you know, around the turn of the set, from, from the 90s into the years after the aughts, uh, and into the teens, and the early teens maybe, Chuck was playing once a month at Blueberry Hill, uh, in, in a room called the Duck Room, uh, which has lined with duck, um, duck lures, <laughs> hunting lures, uh, huh. for someone that Joe, Joe Edwards collected, the Duck Room. Was, you could also say it was for the Duck Walk, but I think it was the Duck Lures. And and so he played with a band that he knew. His son was in it. His daughter played in that band. Uh, a great singer and, and harmonica player. Uh, guys that he knew and played with a lot in St. Louis were all there. So he so for somebody who played with a lot of pickup bands, he had musicians he liked and trusted and yeah. knew knew what he was doing. Uh, and 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 he was playing for a hometown crowd. Right, uh, right. And, and and over the years, uh, as word got out, hey, Chuck Berry plays at Blueberry Hill once a month. Uh, tickets, you know, they, they, for a long time there weren't advanced tickets available. You had to stand in line at the box office an hour before the show started. Uh, yeah. But but eventually, people were hearing and, and flying from New York, from the West Coast. They were flying from Europe and Japan to go huh. see Chuck Berry at Blueberry Hill once a month. Uh, huh. And, yeah, those shows just uh, sound like they were, you know, it, it was, you know, Chuck was forgetting things. And right. Chuck Berry songs have a natural um, ability to flow from one into the other seamlessly. And there was a right. lot of that going on. But uh, he was with musicians that knew what to do when, when that happened. Uh, Chuck always had a sense of humor about it, and um, you know, I just think those shows sound like they are really magical. Yeah, and so who produces the record, and how many tapes oh, do they have? Yeah. Did they did they tape a <laughs> so lot of shows? Did they did they just do two, two or three two ones? So he put out a, a studio album um, that he'd been working on for years, uh, and recording and re-recording and re-re-recording that came out uh, just after he died. 
But more recently, just last year, yes, a live a, a live recording of one of those amazing Blueberry Hill shows. Oh, that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm talking about, right? It's, yes, it's yes. the live that, show. You're right, right. That came out last year, and yeah, it, it really is a fun, high energy, uh, really good uh, good recording. A good night. He plays a couple of, of numbers you don't associate with Chuck Berry. Um, so that who knew that. Somebody was sitting on that, I, um, but but somebody decided to get up and release it to the world, and I'm really glad they did because it's 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 a valid it's a great snapshot of Chuck Berry at the peak of his powers, late in his life, playing to a hometown crowd that loves him, and he's feeding off that energy, and the band right. is feeding off it, and it's it's a good time. Okay, so to finish off, I want to hear your opinion. I don't, I can't remember whether you get explicit about this or not, but there's, there's mm-hmm. long been a theory that the, the secret subject of Johnny B. Good is Elvis Presley. Ah. And that Chuck Berry is writing the life story of Elvis Presley. Yeah. Um, did you ever, did, I don't know how, I, I don't know if you ever got a quote on that or what your feeling is whether that was somehow true on an explicit level level or an implicit level it's a funny thing i think <laughs> there's no single answer to that i really don't right because because what he does in that song on the one hand it's it's it feels very personal uh you know here's a story about uh uh well, it, it, of course, in the lyric, it's a, a country boy named Johnny B. Good. But when he first wrote the song, before it was recorded, the lyric was a colored boy named Johnny uh-huh. B. Good. And right. whether it was somebody around Chuck or Chuck or maybe it was Leonard Chess in the studio saying, you know, you've got a great song here. And we are going to only reach a fraction of the audience if you use the word colored boy in your right. in your song, Chuck. Think about that. Somebody got – somebody – the lyric changes. So, you know, he comes from the deep south down to New Orleans, right. um, the country, and he takes over. The, so on that way, it feels like a Chuck, Chuck Berry talking about, not that he was from New Orleans, but but that it was something of his own experience. But at the same right. time, he, he's, he's narrating it. He's a storyteller looking at this outside character. He says, go, Johnny, go. Right, and so right. he's talking about somebody who's not himself when he's performing it. So it, it's 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 all of the above. It's the amazing thing. He's yes. cheering on somebody who's who we see from a distance. Uh, he's also celebrating his own story to some degree uh, in secret. Uh, he he worked on a lot of levels. Yes, yes, I love that answer. Great answer, oh, RJ. Yeah. Th- those are my questions. It's been so much fun yapping oh. to you again. Tim, my friend, it's great. To, it's great to hear you, your voice. Oh, what's next on your list? What are you working on now? Wow, good question. Uh, you know, reading for pleasure. I've been doing some of that and, and finding out I really like it again. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I I, I want to get going on a new project. I've got a couple of ideas. Nothing. Uh, nothing for sure. Who who, who do you want to see written about? What what what's the book you oh. want to see? Well. Um... You know, gosh, how do you follow James Brown and Chuck Berry? I mean, got to go in a different direction, right? I can't. Right, I. Uh, you know, I. I have been wanting to sell a biography of Tina Turner, and I can't mm. get that. That I mean, she. The, you know, because she has two memoirs, people yeah. are like, no, 
that saturated that space. But I have long felt that she deserves a major, major world-class treatment. And yeah. he would be the guy to do that. I mean, she's not oh. too important. Um, let me yeah. think about that. What? what <laughs> I know. Um, I know. I, I, I'm thinking. <laughs> you know, uh, in Britain, they're very big on Eddie Cochran. Um, and I think uh-huh. he's pretty major, too. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> let, me think on, let me think on that. But oh, I, know it'll do, I know it'll Let's be great, whatever you do. All right. All right. Well, Jim, more to come. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye.